Alright guys, welcome to the first ever episode, Pens Out, with Vincent Pensabeni. That's me. Just want to do a little bit of interviewing, you know, talk to people who have done stuff in their lives. Just a lot of knowledge out there for us to be taking and apply into our daily lives. Whether you want to be in the sports world, whether you want to do something different. I mean, go ahead. I just like talking to people, picking their brains, and that's exactly what I did on this first episode. So we have David Behrman ESPN on Twitter, D Behrman ESPN. He is the deputy editor and of the sports betting section at ESPN. He has a lot of experience in the sports world. We go a little bit into it. We talk about some of his favorite people to work with throughout his time at ESPN, what got him there. Everything under the sun. He even throws out a little bit of a baseball bet that you guys might want to check out. But let's dive into it. I enjoyed talking to David. We'll talk a little bit about what we learned at the end. And just make sure to follow him on Twitter at DBearmanESPN. Follow me at TalkVinTalk. Tell me what you guys think. Tell him that he did a great job on this interview as well. But let's dive right into the interview. All right, I'm joined here by David Behrman, the deputy editor at ESPN in the sports betting section. David, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. How are things with you, Vin? I'm doing good. Uh, so the biggest question I have, how's your bracket for the NCAA tournament going? It's in better shape than most, I would assume. I think ESPN.com had me in about the 86th percentile, by no means near the top, but um, I still have all four Final Four teams left. I took Arkansas, Florida State, Gonzaga, and Baylor. So I have a chance to still get all those. I believe I can get seven of the eight Elite Eight, and I think I have 10 of the 16 Sweet 16. So it's still there. Uh, my big miss was I had LSU knocking off Michigan. Um, won't hurt me as bad if FSU knocks off Michigan because I had FSU in the Final Four. So that's as hard as that is to root for Florida State, knowing that I went to University of Florida. Um, it would put me in very good shape in the bracket should Florida State go to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, this tournament, especially, I don't know if it's just because of the uneven schedules or anything. It just feels like this tournament has just been so hard to come out and predict, especially, I don't know how hard it is for you working with all these stats and research stuff, but like just for the regular fan, it's just so different than it is for any other tournament that we've had. It is, and I think the key to handicapping the tournament, either from a bracket point of view or from a betting point of view, is throw out the seeds. And, and I tend to throw out the seeds anyway, you know, on a normal season without COVID, when you have a good grasp of how the teams are, I think the seeding is more important um, and you can use it as a guide, but anybody who's paying close attention to a lot of the basketball that's been seen this year knows right off the bat, Loyola Chicago is not an eight seed that I'm not saying they're one of the best five teams in the country, but there's a reason why their metrics are where they are. They're the best defensive team in basketball, according to the metrics. And Ken Palm has them as a top 10 team. There's not one single metric that sticks out to me, but them being an eight seed was a, a miss. Um, I, I think a lot of the Pac-12 teams got um, lower seeded or worse seeds than, than they deserved, as you're seeing. And it's Monday morning quarterback is always mm -hmm. easy to say, well, the Pac-12 was, was bad seeding. But you just don't know. You know, they had a lot of COVID cases in the Pac-12 this season. They had a lot of teams who shut down for multiple times. I'm not sure, and this is me not knocking the committee, 
because the metrics weren't there either for the Pac-12 teams. I'm just not sure that, that the computer models and the human beings watching actually got a good grasp of, of UCLA was better than a play-in game team. Um, and, and Oregon is better than a seven seed. And then they don't play their first game and everyone thinks they got lucky. And then they go ahead and smack around two seed, you know, a two seed. So I think that they're this year more than any other year, whether it's due to COVID, whether it's due to meet lack of media access because of the fact that most of the reporters are, are covering it from afar and not at the stadiums that I don't think anybody has a firm grasp of what these teams are like. And that's when you're going to get upsets, but to find an upset, obviously Oral Roberts knocking off Ohio state monumental upset, them following that up with beating seven seeded Florida, big upset. But I think some of the other ones are, I was not surprised that loyal Marymount crushed Georgia tech, but there are people who would say, Mid-major team, ACC team, Georgia Tech should win that one. It wasn't even close. And whereas I did not expect Loyola Chicago to 40 minutes of domination against Illinois, who was one of the top teams in the country, I do think that the number was way off and that Loyola is more of a top four seed than they are an eight seed. So I just want to dive into how you got into the sports research section because uh, a little bit about me, I studied for sports, sports business. And my dream was, first it was be an agent. Then I realized, hey, that's a lot of work. Then I went to, then I was like, oh, maybe play-by-play. And then I was like, oh, you know, maybe not. And then I went to sports research, and I have a really good interest in it. Uh, so how did you get your start into that? Sure, and, and very similar. I was going to go into, uh, into pre-law and do sports law and be an agent, and, and that just didn't happen. And then I actually did go into broadcasting. I got a degree at Florida um, in telecommunication, sports broadcasting, did a lot of radio and TV at school, stayed and got a, a master's degree in sports administration. And then I went around uh, the country working in various minor leagues uh, facilities and I did some play-by-play in single A. Um, eventually, you know, got back and I interned with the Florida Marlins and their broadcasting and their public relations department. Um, then went out back out to Albuquerque, New Mexico as a AAA PR director. I kind of gave up the on-air stuff and said I'd concentrate more on the business side and that PR job in Albuquerque, you know, starting up the isotopes for three years, led to connections with ESPN, which eventually led to an entry-level job in 2005 with ESPN as a sports researcher. That's what I was. I, I was there to research stats, metrics, trends for live broadcasts, whether in Bristol, where I'm currently located, or on the road. Uh, went and did national championship games, bowl games, uh, final fours. Uh, was the golf research to go out there and, and, and research for the Masters, U.S. Open and British Opens, providing stats for the broadcasts, as well as the studio shows back in Bristol. You know, that, that adds up over time and you get promoted through the ranks of being in management. And one of the things I did when I was in management in our stats department was create the gambling department within our stats and information department, where we got four or five of us together to start pushing gambling content like we would push regular content. Unfortunately, at that point in time, nobody was listening because gambling was only legal in one state out of 50, and it wasn't something that Disney and ESPN were going to jump into. That all changed with, with PASPA over being overturned by the Supreme Court and opening up sports betting to the states, purchasing databases, pushing out gambling data, launched Daily Wager, helped as part of a team to do that two years ago, then led to my current job of, of deputy editor of sports betting content. So. It's been a fun ride. I've now been at ESPN for 16 years, but it started right down there in South Florida as, as a member of the Florida Marlins and, and their affiliates. Yeah, so 
I had an experience with ESPN doing their stats. I, I did one game. I was interning for USF. Uh, they had me in a basketball game. They had me on the baseline, just relay what's happening. Did you ever like work in the truck or were you on the court for like basketball, baseball, whatever sports, or were you just stationed in Bristol? Yes to all. Um, <laughs> I started out working for WQAM in, in Miami, Fort Lauderdale and was in the truck for some heat games. And it was in the Marlins broadcast booth with them. When I got to ESPN, I did pretty much all of that. I was either courtside doing stats for games or I was in the truck helping produce content or on the course or sidelines. And you, you see where they, they put the sets like at the Rose Bowl in the corner of the end zone. Um, basically, the, the stats info department is the epicenter for all statistics at ESPN, whether your mobile device, bottom line on your television screen or just personally giving stuff to broadcasters to say on air. So, yeah, it, it was courtside. It was sidelines. It was truck. Um, I, you, you do it from all over. Sometimes you do it remotely. And sometimes you're in an office six miles away from the stadium. And sometimes you're seriously in the corner of the end zone getting stuff thrown at you. So, so what would be your advice for somebody trying to get into this field? I know it's, I, different, it's a little bit different with COVID now. And as we're trying to get through it, but just in general, what's, what would be your advice? It, honestly, experience, experience, experience. You know, I, I oversaw a lot of our recruiting at ESPN for a while, and that's what I looked for in a resume. You know, where you went to school, important, what you studied, important, but more important than all of that on your resume is work experience. You know, maybe you went to Syracuse or you went to Mizzou, two top broadcasting schools. So I'm, that's going to help. It's going to get your resume to me. But what I want to see is, is the work experience. I have hired people and worked with people who have English degrees or business degrees or construction degrees, but they got out in the field and worked in the sports field, whether it be a sideline gig, whether it be a courtside gig, whether it just be running cable when ESPN comes to town, any sort of work experience in the field where you've shown that you can work the hours, you can work whatever it takes. Um, is the stuff I look for. And, you know, my resume, when, when I got to ESPN, not only did it have, obviously, you know, AAA PR director and, and, and single A PR in broadcasting, but it also had, you know, 2000 Orange Bowl runner for, for production ops. It had 1998 PR assistant for the Orange Bowl. It had my Florida Marlins intern. It had spring training at Bavard County Manatees. It was a lot of different work experience where you can be an intern, you can be a runner, you could be a, a low paid, whatever, just get out there, work regional finals, work Friday night ESPN games, do whatever it takes to get in front of the, you know, in front of the people, because one day you'll be setting up a interview with an ESPN producer and John Wetland, who is the pitching coach of the team that's in, in town in Albuquerque. And the next day that guy's giving you a resume to ESPN to call you out of the clear blue six months later to interview for a stats research job. And, and that's how I got my start. That's how other people can do it as well. All right. So stats and research kind of go hand in hand with sports betting because you need all the information that you can get. Is that how you got introduced to the world of sports betting or was it prior to that? Um, I've always been a numbers guy, a son of two math teachers, somebody who's always dived into the stats, kept my own stats when I played Little League, cut out box scores, watched the College World Series. I've always been a big stats guy. Um, I don't want to get into too specifically what turned me into sports betting because obviously it wasn't legal at the time. Um, but you, you, you could say I went to a barbershop that handed out parlay cards. And 
got to learn real quickly uh, what a parlay card was and how um, outside of even profiting off of it, that you could take your sports knowledge and your numbers and put it to use with picking games. So I, I've been picking games for, for, for 25, 30 years. Um, it could be as simple as me taking a bracket and predicting which team's going to move on cover wise um, and counting how many I got right and wrong, even if I didn't physically have money on the game because I wasn't old enough to gamble or I wasn't in a state that was legal. Um, but I've always had the passion of, of picking games, playing with the numbers. You can go back to um, anybody who's read Greg Cody, who was on the Dan Levitard show for years, Greg Cody of the Miami Herald. He had a column every single Friday in the Miami Herald of picking all 16, or at the time it would have been 14 NFL games against the spread and straight up. And I, I was obsessively reading that column, making my own picks, comparing myself to Greg. I would enter the fan contest in the newspaper, clip it out, write my picks in, mail it in. So even at the ripe age of 15 or 16, participating in gambling pools, um, so to speak, just having fun with it is kind of what grew me into it. And then it took off from there. And I've always had a passion, hoping that one day that this business would grow. And that's kind of where we're at today. So you've been at ESPN for a while now. Mm -hmm. And as you know, ESPN has hired a lot of colorful personalities throughout sure. the years. Uh, who were some of your favorites, either growing up or getting to work with? Sure. I mean, I mean, they're all great people. Uh, they're all very big talent who, who do a fantastic job. And I, I think at ESPN, you're, you work a lot more closer to them than you would at, at other organizations. Um, over the course of, of covering golf for, for many years and being into the gambling field, uh, I, I got to throw Scott Van Pelt out there, mm -hmm. you know, one of the nicest down to earth guys. And you probably read that and hear that. But I can tell you from experience that like Scotty is like you or me. He's on Twitter. He's on watching the games. He's talking to fans on, on, on fan boards. He's a down-the-earth fan who happens to get paid to do television nationwide. Mm -hmm. Obviously a big fan of, of the sports betting stuff. And I got to work with Scott um, and still do for many, many years. And he's among um, the, what I would call the coolest cats out there, like down-to-earth, cool guy. You're just as likely to, to go to the driving range with Scott Van Pelt as you are to do live television with him. Um, even before that, Mike Tirico was a guy that I got to know really, really well while working in the golf and, and other aspects of the company, uh, Reese Davis and college football, that, that whole Reese, Mark and Lou thing from the past. Um, I know they got a lot of criticism for the show. I loved all three of those guys. Like, you know, Mark May, Lou Holtz, Reese Davis worked with them for many, many years. Um, really, really good dudes. And then, um, I, I would say the dearly departed John Saunders, Stuart Scott, two guys who, uh, really meant a lot to me in my career. I worked with with John on, on ABC football for, for three years, really closely he became really good friends. Uh, was sort of like a fatherly figure, but obviously difficult when he passed. Um, but just really, really good guys to work with who want and appreciate the job that you do for them when they go on air. Scotty's the type of guy that you'll work a hundred hours during what we would call the death March of the U S open or British open, where it's nonstop from Sunday to Sunday, working horrendous hours, very little sleep. You're just trying to get through the day. And then when it's over, you have that certain, like you take two deep breaths and you're like, all right, it's over. I need to relax, get on the plane home. You turn around and here's Scott shaking every single person's hand from cable person to researcher, to producer, to executive producer, shaking every single person's hand and thanking them for surviving the week. And that's just the type of person that, that Scott is. 
that, that's a great story. Yeah. I mean, just seeing on TV, I mean, you could see some of those personalities just pop and like just the background that you gave, just you could see how like, hey, they're down to earth. Just they know that, hey, we're not any bigger than anybody else here. No, and, and you know, they're obviously celebrities at times mm-hmm. and talent. Scott's on many yeah. different commercials. He has celebrity status. But I like to say the analogy that, that they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and I do. Um, they're human beings, and, and they are human. I mean, you know, when you're driving from one locale in Scotland to another locale in England, from one British Open to the next, and you're in the car for six hours, there's no better person to be with than, than Scotty or Tariko or – any of those guys because they're 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 real people, real lives. Like Scott married a University of Florida grad, I you know who who was working at ESPN way back when. Um, I knew her before I knew Scott, and Scott then you know so there's there's you're always going to find six degrees of separation with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he has a wife and kids just like I have a wife and kids, and they're human beings. And and that's what I would always tell people is you can idolize them, you can look up to them, you can oh my god they're on air, but at the end of the day like they're humans as well. They got families, and you know. You know, Kirk Herb Street up here in terms of stature at ESPN. There's no other nicer guy that would take you and put you on set and take pictures with you than Kirk Herb Street. So, now I don't know if I should be saying this to an ESPN employee, but there's some there's some content where you know I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not going to be interested in that. But one show I'm really interested in is the show you work really hand in hand with is Daily Wager. Mm-hmm. It just gives me like a different sort of feel. Uh, how long have you been with working with Daily Wager and just how is it different than a lot of other shows on ESPN's platform? Well, the answer to your first question is before the beginning. Um, I was with a group of people who pitched the idea to begin with. We had a proposal to do a live betting show on ESPN even before legalized wagering came. Um, it was a proposal that kind of hardly didn't get looked at because we're not going to have a sports betting show at ESPN. Um, when they overturned PASPA and ESPN was more open to it, we actually shot um, some behind the little behind the the wall thing here. We actually shot a pilot for them um, at the office with Doug Kazarian as hosting with various sports personalities around the country, like Joe Fortenbaugh. Um, it wasn't live. It was something that we taped uh, right around Thanksgiving of 2018. And then we sent that all the way up to the high ups at Disney who, who approved um, the show to be launched the next March. And then I basically spent the show was approved in January went live March Madness. I spent basically those 10 weeks doing nothing but getting the show ready, working with various producers, coordinating producers, talent, graphics people. Uh, you look at the, the L-shaped compression of stats on the mm-hmm. screen, literally personally sat with the art people and designed that with them. They were art. I was stats. They designed the art. I designed the stats, put them together, and voila, we have, we have mm-hmm. a compression. Um, right up to the launch, you know, launch that show with them. Um, was part of the rehearsals all the way. And, and I still work on that show on a daily basis. There's a meeting every day that I participate in. Even now, I'm now on the digital side. Um, I, I work with Daily Wage every day. How is it different to your second question? Um, I think it's, it's different because everybody on the show specifically has a passion for sports betting. Um, not saying that's not the case on other shows, but the others are more singularly focused on one sport, whether it's baseball tonight or it's NFL Live or it's SportsCenter focused on one thing we are focused on everything we'll talk basketball we'll talk baseball we'll talk college football we'll talk golf mma etc because all of them have betting lines and our show is a very very well talent well-rounded crew of production assistants all the way to senior vps 
that work together to honestly serve the fan in, in producing the best and most accurate content for, for you guys. And besides just Daily Wager, you guys have ESPN Chalk, which is a great website. I go on it almost daily now. Uh, how was that, getting, getting into that? Just Because it's totally different, at least from my point of view, from sure. doing a live TV show into going onto the written forums and all that type of stuff. Right. And right now, that is my direct oversight is ESPN Chalk. I directly oversee that. And I did come from the TV side before moving over two years ago. It's different. Obviously, it's more written content than on-air content. But at the same time, we're all producing sports betting content. It's just going to look different in written form than TV. But we all work with the same guys. You'll see Doug Kazarian and Joe Fortenbaugh, Tyler Fulham, Anita Marks, the Bear, Chris Salika. You'll see them all on Daily Wager. And then you'll also see them in the Chalk column because we kind of share resources. Um, It's just different because one is more preview heady, heavy days ahead of time. Like tomorrow you will get our best bets for the tournament weekend. Um, Whereas daily wager is more it's six o'clock game start at seven. Let's break it down the immediacy or have a show right before games go on the air. Um, Just a little ahead of it, as opposed to just before the game started. Uh, so, yeah, I want to dive into the MLB wage because MLB, their season starts a week from today when we're recording. Uh, the season going from 60 games to 162. How does that make you approach betting like some futures or totals in general? Well, I'll be honest. Last year, I, I, I had futures for the 162 game season that I bet while I was in Vegas. Obviously, the season didn't go 162, so I got refunded on all of them. Ironically, the ones on the teams that I picked to be over did well. And the ones that I picked to go under didn't do well, but 60 games, I, I didn't get involved in the futures because you really never knew if the season was going to finish. Mm-hmm. 162 is different. I don't know if you'll finish 162 games. I think the future market has taken a little bit of a hit with COVID because people don't want to have their money tied up when you don't know if the season's going to finish and your bet's just going to be refunded. You know, I had six bets on MLB futures and four bets on, on, um, NBA totals last year and, and all my bets were refunded because the season didn't play. It was almost like a waste of time. Um, but it, you know, it's a different approach. You, you got to think about teams that are built for 162 games as opposed to those built for 60. And, and that might mean the difference between a winner or a loss. Now, when you're looking at bets in general, whether it be baseball or other sports, how do you assess value? Because I know there's a lot of different ways people assess value throughout different sports. Sure. When it comes to MLB win totals, is that what you're asking? Yes. When it comes to MLB win totals, I'm looking for, for, for depth of starting rotation and, and depth overall. Um, you know, the, there are numbers that jump out, and I'll show like the Cleveland Indians at, at 81. Cleveland's 81 because they lost Trevor Bauer. They lost Mike Clevenger. They've lost Francisco Lenore. So you're looking at three really good pitchers that they lost. So you're thinking, oh, they're not going to be good. But they have a manager in Terry Francona who's very good at getting the most out of their squad, and they just – they don't rebuild, they reload. Mm-hmm. So whereas the Cleveland Indians might not be the LA Dodgers and they might not be the New York Yankees and they're not going to be talented enough to go out and win 105 games. We're just looking at 81. You're looking at trying to get over 500. And I think with a solid head coach and manager, which is something that I look for, and with still a deep roster overall, I think the Indians can win over 81 games. And, you know, I always tell people every single MLB team wins 54 loses 54 and it's the other 54 that determine your win or loss with the win totals. Um, and the Cleveland Indians are a perfect example of that. Do I think they can win more than half of their other 54 games? And the answer to me is yes. 
Yeah, especially with the Indians. Uh, I mean, they have they're they every time they trade starting pitchers, they have about like five more that are right. young guys that are studs. I mean, I don't know how deep you are with them, but they have like Savali, mm-hmm. Shane Bieber. I mean, they just have a lot of talent. Uh, do you see like kind? Of, I don't want to try to bet. Just tell you, tell me what you're betting, but with the NL East being so tough, do you see any value there? Um, I see a little bit of value on the Nationals a little bit just because I think, again, there's a team that was in the World Series a few years ago who lost a lot of players. Um, They have a good manager and they have a deep roster that continues to churn out stuff. They're not built for 60 games, so I think last year they underachieved. And I do look for value in teams that underachieved or overachieved, and two of them happen to be in the NL East. I think the Nationals, fresh off a World Series title, shortened season, had some injury concerns. I think they're a team that bounces back and does better than they did last year. And on the flip side, it's not easy for me to say this because I work for them and grew up with them, but I'm a huge Florida Marlins. I guess now you call them the Miami Marlins. They overachieved last year. It was a 60 game season where they ran out a different starter almost every day due to injuries and COVID had that two week COVID break. They surprised a lot of people. They vastly overachieved. Um, I still think they'll have a solid year, but, it's hard to imagine them making the playoffs again with them shrinking the field back to 10 teams as opposed to 14. And the fact that it was only a 60 game season, the Marlins, I don't think have what it takes over the course of 162 to be a playoff team. Um, But their number is actually right where it should be at about 75, 76. I think that's exactly what they'll do, which is not as good as last year's 60 game season, but keep in mind at 60 games, they still only won 31 last year. So it's not like they went ahead and won 50 out of 60. Mm-hmm. They barely broke 500, made the dance because they expanded the field. If the Marlins barely break 500 again and win 82, 83 games, they're still not making the playoffs. So they're going to have to win 85, 86. I don't see them as an 85, 86 win team, but you continue with the, with the NL East. You know, I, I know it, they're going to break hearts because they do every single year, but the New York Mets are a good team. Mm-hmm. New York Mets have a really strong pitching rotation. They have a really strong squad. They have some hitters. They should win that division. I think their win total is a little bit low at 88, 89, that they could win 90 games. Have I hopped on it yet? No, because every single year the Mets break hearts and crush hope. That's kind of what they are. But it's not going to surprise me to see the Mets win 92 games and compete with the Atlanta Braves. But that is a very tough division that I can see the Braves. I can see the Mets. I can see the Nationals. The Phillies aren't a slouch, which is what concerns me about the Marlins. The Marlins could be a 500 team and still finish fifth in that division. Uh, and then one final question on just the betting side. Where do you see the World Series being? Because, like, my prediction, uh, it might be a little biased. I'm a Yankees fan, but going Yankees, Padres, I just feel like that's too chalky. It, it is chalky, but go back and look at baseball overall. Baseball without its salary cap tends to be a more chalky sport. Take last year out of the equation. Like, mm-hmm. you, you don't see – some of those teams make it that often, but there's a reason why if you look at the playoff bracket, especially in the American league, the American league always seems to be Yankees, Red Sox, twins, A's and angels, and then somebody else. It, it seems to be the same teams every single year. I don't see that changing much. Um, and Astros as well. I, I think the, the AL still will be a Yankees, um, Yankees, A's, Astros and throw in the White Sox, who obviously are a young team that I also believe overachieved last year. That'll still be your American League. And obviously, who can forget the AL champion Tampa Bay Rays, who always overachieve, will always be in the mix. 
Um, out in the National League, it's hard to pick anybody but the L.A. Dodgers. They are the best team in the league. They have the most talent in the league. They did finally win the World Series after years and years and years of wasting that talent. Um, I don't see anybody else beating L.A. unless it is San Diego. San Diego is loaded, but they're still young. You know, they don't have the same experience as the Dodgers. You know, you don't want to go ahead and pick Dodgers, Yankees, because that sounds too cliche, cliche. Um, but I think you, you, you almost have to say those are the two best teams. The Yankees did great last year, despite lots of injuries and, and lots of, of COVID issues. Um, I, I still think it's the Dodgers to lose. And, you know, the Yankees haven't made a World Series in a long time, so it might be their time. If not the Yankees, um, I, I could see the Rays doing it again and or, you know, anybody from the West, Astros, A's, Angels, they're all really, really good teams. And you'll have a surprise in there, and it might be the, the Windians that we just talked about. Um, could be the White Sox making a deeper run and you can never count out the twins, no matter what you think of them every year, they just win 90 games and make the playoffs every single year. All right, David, thank you again for joining me. Uh, really appreciate it. You, um, letting me reach out to you right away and just sure. being so open with it. But again, thank you for coming and I hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Let me know when you want to chat some more. All right. All right, so that was David Behrman. A really big thank you for him coming on. I really enjoyed talking to him, getting to pick a little bit of his brain, looking at that Cleveland Indians bed. You know, gotta go with some starting pitching depth. But it was a lot of fun talking to him, just getting to know him a little bit. You know, just these guys at ESPN, you think they're just some really big uh, egos sometimes. You know, just being there a while, but you get to talk to them and you get to see, hey, they're just a bunch of sports fans like we are at times, just rooting on your team, just seeing exactly what is going on in the world that is producing sports. But that's all I have today. Just wanted to talk a little bit. Hopefully, I will be able to release these. I want to do at least once a week, but depending on who I could get, when I could get them with my schedule and their schedules, might be a little bit of a different situation so thank you guys again for watching listening however you are digesting this make sure to subscribe on whatever podcast app you are listening to make sure to leave a review five stars you know more reviews that we get more five stars that's gonna boost the popularity of this and that's gonna get us more people that we could talk to down the line but again thank you guys for listening and i will see you guys in the next one